Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Hey, Ben, how you doing today, brother? Doing well, pretty well. I guess considering the circumstances, you know, we talked about before how uh, quarantined at home. Thankfully, my wife's on the mend, but uh, we are thankful that people have shown us kindness, brought us food. My kids are very happy that uh, I didn't have to make something from scratch, and I got some yummy stuff. So how about you? I'm doing pretty well, other than for me, just a little disappointed Tom Brady is back in the Super Bowl. We have some international listeners, and I'm sure that's not really relevant to you, but here in the United States, uh, I, I think we just get exhausted having the same thing over and over again. Tom Brady's going to be going out there with his, his cane before long. But. Yeah, I'm sure he will. So, you know, I don't think when people ask for life uh, coming back to normal, that's what people meant. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, well, you know, given the options, Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady, it was Ah, it was hard to pick, you know, it was kind of like with other contests, like if both options could lose, you know, that would be preferable, but it's not the way it works. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, a, a distinguished uh, man uh, that's done some great work. Uh, and uh, for our listeners, you know, they might know uh, our guest today a little bit better than Tom Brady, perhaps, or maybe less, uh, <laughs> depending on how long they've listened to our podcast. Uh, so we've got a return guest again today, talking about something uh, pretty different from what we talked to him about last year. So uh, returning to our podcast today is Simon Camilleri, and uh, we we're blessed to have him on to talk about abortion today. Uh, last time we talked about, with him about a really, really great book, When Santa Learned the Gospel. And uh, we wanted to kind of hear his thoughts as he does a lot of great work uh, in addressing abortion among the many, many things he does uh, alongside his day job in Australia. So welcome to the podcast, Simon. Uh, It's great to be here. Good to be back. Thank you. Yes, we're good. We have quite a a shift, though, from Santa Claus to uh, the to abortion and and I mean, yeah. obviously we're not talking simon's not a uh, an abortion advocate but yeah. uh you do cover the the waterfront uh, i guess on the the range of topics that you yeah you address but we're glad to have you uh, glad to be here. a man of many talents so <laughs> well, well simon what have you been up to since last we talked uh perhaps rapping a little bit maybe i'm not sure about that <laughs> yeah um I, I don't know how much that hit uh, the states, but uh, I wrote. If for your listeners that don't know, I wrote a, a parody song of the opening song from Hamilton uh, and put that together for Christmas and did that just for my own church's Christmas carols event, um, which was online and it was the sort of the opening number. Um, and instead of it being about Alexander Hamilton, it was about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And it went really well, and then I just posted it on my own Facebook, and that started getting shared everywhere. Um, and it got to about 750,000 views and churches showing it at their Christmas services and um, Chris- on Christmas Eve and a whole bunch of things like that, which was very hilarious to 
uh, <laughs> sort of witness um, something like that. I, I don't know if you'd really call that number viral, but it was definitely, um, you know, uh, it was fun to see places in the US and Canada and England also watching it and sharing it and things like that. Um, so, so yeah, so that was fun. And uh, probably the biggest creative thing I was part of um, was a a reading, an epic reading or dramatic reading of the entire book of Job, which we put together in the middle of sort of at the start of the pandemic last year. And uh, me and eight other actors all got together on Zoom and performed each playing a different character from the book and read it from word, word to word, word for word from beginning to end. And it was about a three hour performance um and uh and that was yeah that was just a wonderful thing to be part of so i'm i am often involved in a, quite a variety of creative pursuits on the side so, um, and then probably the in terms of uh, on the topic of abortion we had a very big um i'm part of a group called march for the babies and we had to turn our usual march which is in the streets of melbourne uh, to an online event um which required a lot more uh graphic design and those sort of and video editing and that's some of my skills and so i was able to really help out this year and uh, be part of that and that was really wonderful as well praise the lord brother you are a busy man yeah uh, yeah <laughs> That's that's. I didn't know about some of those other. I, I knew that you did theatrical things. Um, we're very gifted that way. What what character was yours in the Job reading? I, I played Job, so okay. I actually I shaved my head for the performance, and um, I had uh, yeah the joy and the sorrow I guess of performing um, this, and we did, and we tried to really not hold back in terms of. You know, it's a very emotional piece um, and uh, what he goes through is very emotional and so we didn't want to sugarcoat it or anything like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was really a very powerful thing to be a part of. But, uh, I have to check that out. You know, in, in America, we've noticed, or at least I've seen this, where uh, films that are made about biblical times, they always have British accents. I don't know why that is. So I guess th you and your friends uh, take a little different spin on it, but, you know. That's, that's right. Although the lady who played Satan, she was American. So there you go. That, okay. that, seemed, to, that, that seemed to work for us Australians. Yeah. <laughs> we are the great Satan. So. I don't know. It was great. We had a, we had a variety of voices, and um, but yeah, people might get a kick out of hearing an an Aussie Job. Who knows? Very good. Yeah, I, I want to check that out. Well, so uh, you mentioned some of your pro life work um, and the how you were able to contribute. So tell us just in general, how are you involved in pro life causes in Australia? Um, I think probably in terms of a practical way. Uh, the biggest sort of way is being involved in March for the Babies. And March for the Babies is the biggest pro-life event that happens in our state. I'm not sure it may be the biggest that happens in Australia, but I don't know the numbers there. Um, but we often get, uh, and this is sort of pales in comparisons to some of the um, you know, uh, pro-life marches you get in the States, but um, due to our sort of population difference, 
Um, yeah, we get about 7,000 people walking the streets of Melbourne and it's a really joyous event um, and it's done to protest the the laws that were brought in about 11 years ago in Victoria, which were landmark, some of the most extreme laws in the world. Um, and slowly over that time, other states in Australia have followed suit. Um, and... Yeah, so it's, it's sort of there to mark mark that day, and also to um, you know to speak out our our protest about that, and to to gather together the various little pro life you know um, organisations that are around, and help us gather together as one voice on that one day. Um, and apart from that, I I love um, well I I care a lot about this issue and. Um, engage with it on social media and write about it now and then and speak to people about it. I've always loved thinking about um, how to formulate uh, a, a good argument for something and being honest about the both sides of an argument. And, um, and so I really value having discussions with people who are pro-choice, who are willing to have good discussions about it. And... Uh, reaching out to the other side as well so and having those sort of dialogues to try and so we're not just talking over each other um and so yeah just trying to keep that conversation going on online and um help help change happen not just from a legal perspective but from a social one as well yeah that's good so good by the way, I, I want to say that, you know, I've seen some of your interaction, even on, you know, the social media uh, with yep. some who disagreed. And uh, and I really respect how, you know, you, you've always come across very civil and uh, respectful of those you disagree and all of these kind of areas, which is one of the reasons why I thought it would be great to talk to you on this, because I think there can be a lot of pigeonholing sometimes, you know what I mean? So, yeah, well, one of the people who really modeled that for me is an American pro-life advocate uh, called Josh Brahms. I think Brahm is his uh, B-R-A-H-M. Um, and he runs the uh, the Equal Rights Institute. Um, if your listeners could look up him, because he's, um, him and his, his ministry is basically about, especially with on-campus on ministries, they help people have good conversations about the topic of abortion. And they're, just, I just really respect his philosophy of, of not strawmanning, not you know painting your opponent just in the worst light so you can tear them down. How to actually have genuine conversations that can be productive and healthy, um, and so yeah, it, it's been good, and it's taken me a long time to learn how to do that. I think that's good. So now, why are you so passionate about this specific issue of abortion? It's an interesting question. Uh, uh, partly I'm passionate because it's an important issue and I don't see a lot of people being passionate about it in my circles. So in Australia, the getting people to think about this topic is actually harder. A lot of people just don't get too involved in big issues. Um, we're all pretty relaxed in Australia. And, and so getting Christians interested about a specific uh, social issue is sometimes hard. Um, and so I've, I felt like there was a place to to look into this and, and um, speak 
and be a part of this the the little movement that we um that is happening even the the march for the babies committee even though we get thousands and thousands of people coming it's only a very small team and so it's a privilege to be a part of that small team um but i'm i'm passionate about lots of things so the genesis of what really got me thinking i i need to um i really do believe this i really do believe abortion is wrong and that we need to address it um started when i i just sort of went along to the uh, march for the babies protests um back in 2014 and that morning uh, my wife and i had just learnt from the doctor that we were pregnant or that she was pregnant <laughs> Um, so it was funny. We, we got the confirmation from the doctor, yes, you are pregnant. And then we went to a pro-life march um, together. And there was something really special and beautiful about that, realising going, this, this, this child does exist and is, has humanity even at this tiny, tiny stage and that we really believe that. And we began talking, we made sure that the language we used was true to that. So we didn't say, um, you know, that this child, uh, we're, we're looking forward to having a child or looking forward to being a father, that we, I was a father there and then. Yeah. Um, and also in that very early stage, uh, all, um, you know, all parents know that, uh, there's the fear of there being a miscarriage in the first few weeks. And so you don't tell lots of people and things like that. So, and and that fear, because it was our first child, was quite oppressing, you know, you, you sort of, and we'd been trying to have a child for, for years, um, for a couple of years. And and so one of the things we, we had to remember was that this child is here now. Um, and we don't know how long this child will be here, but we should praise God for it and enjoy it in the here and now, not just be afraid of what might come. And that, I think, solidified this real mindset for us. Um, and amazingly, you know, then a year later when we were back at the march, we were there with our child um, and have taken her to, to the marches from then on um, uh, year after year. And yeah, so I think that partly was the genesis of what made me realise, yes, I really do believe this. I really do believe that a child is a child from the point of conception and that the apathy that is in Australia about this issue, both from Christians and especially from the wider society, is is something that needs to be combated and, and we need to, um, yeah. And so I, I felt like I had a place to speak into it and start those conversations. Hmm. That's, in, that's encouraging to hear. Uh, and this is a, a short aside. If you can answer this briefly, then uh, feel free. If, if it's, I guess, too complicated, then we can just yeah. move on. But, you know, in America, the abortion conversation really goes along uh, political fault lines. Is it yeah. the same way in Australia or is it a, just a different context? It is in that, one one side of politics is very much like the democratic platform the the democrats platform in terms of very very 
comfortable with abortion and uh, seeing it as a right up until birth um, and have passed laws to that effect in many states. Uh, we have more than a two-party system, um, so we have quite influential third parties. Um, they're nowhere near as big, but they've, they are influential. And there's one called the Greens um, that is very progressive. Um, and that, and another one that's called the Reason Party, uh, that and they push um, this issue very and have a lot of influence to do so. Um, our more conservative party uh, is in no way a flag-waving pro-life movement at all. Uh, they're fairly flip-floppy, and you know they they don't stand up and say anything very clearly. There is definitely people in that party who would, and probably the only ones that do stand up generally come from that party. Yeah, they they are generally from that party, but um, it's pretty hard to get politicians to stand up and put their neck out and say, we are pro-life and we believe this. Um, it's much, I see that much more in, in the States. Um, and so because of that, it's actually just, it's feeling like the tide is very much... Um, politically not in our favor i see yeah and in america it's not uniformly but largely goes along you know more the bigger picture political uh divide so yeah. it's obviously a political issue but is it also a theological issue yes uh well in, especially because all of life is a theological issue to some degree you know like work is a theological issue and god cares about not just what we believe about God, but also how we treat his creation and how we treat each other. Um, it's definitely a theological issue because um, the theology of what makes something a human is wrapped up in the issue of abortion and uh, how we should treat humans um, is a theological issue, I guess. Um, and how we treat humans relating to how we treat God as humans being made in God's image. So I do think, uh, yeah, it shouldn't be separated as oh, there's a secular issue and then there's theological issues. If it relates to potentially how we treat people, in both mothers and babies, you know, then I think it is on that level of, you know, a theological issue, an issue that God cares about. Yeah, that was well said, just in a real concise way um, that obviously maybe legislation about it can get into the issue of wisdom and sound judgment and that kind of yeah. thing. Whereas taxation is a whole different, more steps removed, but th this gets into the core of what it means to be made in God's image. And so yeah. um, now agree with uh, you. as with all theological issues, you know, the most important thing is really how the Bible addresses it. Uh, so what does the Bible actually say about abortion, Simon? Or does it say anything at all? Yeah, um, it was, was a, a a great question to think about. And um, I, you could almost do several podcasts just unpacking <laughs> just that question. Um, and, and so I was thinking about it because some people say the Bible says nothing about abortion. And I, I don't think it does. There is a There is one case in the Bible where it... Um, uh, where it very specifically talks about abortion, but it's in an obscure way. In Jeremiah 20, verse 17, where Jeremiah wishes he was aborted. 
Uh, so that's not necessarily on topic exactly, but uh, where he wishes he was killed in the womb, but you know, out of despair. Um, it seems like a, a very you know, Old Testament thing to we just wish you never existed yeah. at times of lament. Um, but one thing that v that passage does show is that he thinks of himself as an eye in the womb, um, and that you could kill him in the womb. So he talks about it in that way. I think the things that the, the general things, if I can try and summarize it simply, that the Bible says about abortion is it, is it definitely affirms the biggest idea, I think, is it affirms that all humans are made in the image of God, uh, that all humans bear God's image, have the role of displaying his image to the world, have that dignity and worth and value um, and should be treated as such. And it distincts humanity from all other creatures uh, and how we treat humans as different to how we treat other creatures. Um, so, and the Bible does um, say that it's because we're made in the image of God, that's what makes murder wrong. Genesis 9, 6 is, you know, uh, that's why it's the death penalty for murder because man is made in God's image. And you get that also in James Chapter three, verse nine: This idea that how can you um, how can you praise God with with you know sort of one side of your mouth and curse people who are made in God's image? That there's a hypocrisy of how we treat people who are made in God's image reflects how we treat God. And and so humanity, that's I think one of the big things is is humans are made in God's image and therefore should be loved and treated with dignity. And value um, and then the big question is is the life in the womb a human being and for some people that's the big line in the sand um, of one way or the other and so you know I think the, the Bible assumes that they are I think the language whenever a, of a life in the womb it's never talked about what defines a human is suddenly when they're born they become a human being the, the passage when I'm trying to explain this to someone I often go to is Luke 1 and Luke 2. And in Luke 1, you've got the story of Elizabeth pregnant and the baby in her womb leaps for joy. Um, and then in Luke 2, you've got the angel saying to the shepherds, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The word that is used for when the baby in my womb leapt for joy and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths is the exact same word. Uh, the Bible doesn't have a different word for a child in the womb and a child out of the womb. It's the same same word, same concept. Um, and uh, Psalm 139 is one that people know very well, and um, especially verses 13 to 16, is where it talks about God knitting us in the womb and putting us together and God being intimately involved with us and knowing us uh, even in in that place where we're being put together. Um, so I think the Bible affirms definitely that that we are us even in the womb. Um, there's lots more, you know, there's lots of other arguments to support that as well. But um, the, so I, I definitely think that the, the prohibition or the command to not murder applies Two children in the womb, and um, and there's never a place where uh, 
where that's not taken seriously. So the death of a, a child in the womb, even when it happens naturally through, you know, through an, a miscarriage, it's always treated quite very seriously and is a tragic thing. So, yeah, so that it, I think I think the case is made that it, that abortion is a sin, is a terrible thing to do, um, and is a destruction of a life that is made in God's image. But I don't think the Bible stops there. And I think, sadly, maybe that's what people hear Christians just saying, this is the Christian position on abortion and the Bible's position on abortion. I think the other element that we need to also include is the is that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Um, so as much as it is a terrible thing, um, God doesn't leave us just holding on to our terrible things. He, he's, you know, the, the great message of the good news is that Jesus came to save all of us who need forgiveness. Um, it, and the sin of abortion is not something that um, should leave people in despair um, but that they can find healing and hope and forgiveness for. Um, so there, that's a very brief summary, and I, I want to write more on what the Bible says on a whole range of issues surrounding abortion, but, um, but yeah, there's a little summary. That, that's that's helpful. Yeah, that's extremely helpful. I, You know, I just want to say, especially I liked uh, you pointing out uh, something I really hadn't uh, brought up in this, as you know, the the language in Luke 1 and 2 and, and how helpful that is, you know, to navigate what the Bible ever even thought about as the difference between a child inside or outside the womb, which really is that there isn't. Deuteronomy also imposes stricter judgment on if a woman is struck while she's pregnant um, and yeah. it causes the, the child to die. And even contemporary law in countries where there's abortion sometimes sort of nods that, yes, that is a human. You can get charged for double homicide if you kill a I've, mother and a baby. I've always been fascinated by that in the States. And I've seen that in the States where there's some states that if you if you hit, um, you know, if there's an accident and the baby dies then you can be up for double homicide or, or um, where and in states where you can, if the mother chooses to, to kill the child, then that's allowed. Australia is much more consistent than your country. Uh, <laughs> whenever <laughs> those laws have been brought to the table and some have said there needs to be a law because like there's been women who have been in, hit by it. There was one case I think where a woman was hit by a drunk driver and um, lost her late pregnancy um, child, mm -hmm. and and they tried to bring about a law in honour of her. Um, and the argument against it was, if we did this, then that would be a slippery slope to preventing abortion. Um, so there, was, I I heard the commentary specifically saying, well, you know, if we start saying that it's a human being and that sort of stuff, you know, then what will be our argument against abortion? And th so they were consistent oh. in that, going, no, we can't acknowledge that a human being has died. And, you know, and so um, one of the weird things that's happened in Victoria just recently, which is a first sign of it, maybe hopefully a crack in that, is that you can now apply for a, a proper either birth certificate or a death certificate or something official if you have a miscarriage um, hmm. to honour 
you know, the child and and so, but but it feels like this state that's so progressive and so does not want to acknowledge any rights for the child, then gives this sort of dignity to it through in the case of miscarriage. So yeah. there's a little bit, there is a bit of hypocrisy there. That's a yeah. That is, it's an interesting feature of society. Well, I think all of us would agree that uh, people of both genders, one that there are two genders, and that they should be treated with equal dignity. But is being isn't being pro life sort of being against treating genders with with equal dignity? Yeah, it's often portrayed that uh, the pro life position is anti women, um, or that it's against women's rights and and obviously that's that argument falls down when you realize there's more pro-life women than there are pro-life men that the pro-life movement is uh you know there's a bigger percentage of them that are women but i i actually think christians don't or pro-life people let's just say across the board don't acknowledge that this is actually a real genuine driving force behind the pro-choice movement that is that is a valid one to take into consideration. That historically, um, the fact that women could get, uh, there were two big sort of things that freed up women to pursue their dreams and careers and things like that. And one of them was the development of menstrual products that allowed them not to have to not do things, you know, have to hide away when there were, um, they're on their menstruation on that time of the month. And that sort of freed them up to be able to go out and about. And two uh, was abortion, which freed them up to um, continue a career, continue education and not have to take that time out. And as much as that sounds like a very cold argument, it's actually, it's still a very real reality. Um, and it is true that if there's a man or a woman and they have sex, and the, the woman gets pregnant, the man terribly can just run away and live his life however he wants. And often the, and I've heard the argument that for there to be true gender equality, then women need to have that same freedom. And unless women have that same freedom um, to not bear the consequences of an unwanted pregnancy, then men and women, women will always get the short end of the stick. And I actually, that's a valid, that like the, that's a cold argument, but it is actually a, an argument that is true in that sense. Um, and it's an argument that we need to address. Like we actually need to make sure that um, women don't get the short end of the stick if they're, if they experience an unwanted pregnancy, that they're not left destitute, that they're not left in a position where they think abortion is the only option for them. And the other thing, big thing we need to do is hold men accountable. You know, the idea that we, to be equal, we ha women have to be as much of a dirtbag as those guys who would abandon the, their women is, um, you know, I, I don't want to hold up those men and go, yeah, they have so much freedom. Isn't that wonderful? We should try and level the playing field. I'd rather go, actually, the thing that needs to change is uh, men need to take their responsibilities responsibility seriously. And, yeah, and we need to provide, um, I think, as a society, we need to provide for women who 
um, who face unwanted pregnancy, especially in cases where uh, it was less less of their own less of their own fault, not just through rape, but maybe through um, they're being them being young and and foolish and that sort of things. And yeah, that society needs to provide to make um, options other than abortion a possibility. That that's helpful. So yeah, I, I just want to add to that. You know, it fascinates me in navigating this, and I think you bring up some really good points. But it's strange how this mentality that you know being pro life is being anti woman just. Uh, utterly ignores the positions of, especially in America, the the original suffragettes. And I don't know if you know, because uh, obviously a different country, but you know, most of our original suffragettes were almost universally strongly pro-life. You know, you had Susan yeah. B. Anthony, you have Alice Paul. I mean, Alice Paul, I mean, equated it with murder. Uh, and uh, and it, you know, I was actually watching a Saturday Night Live skit a couple of years ago that actually some acknowledged it. I was going through her home and. And it was almost like a dismissive of making fun of, you know, she lived back in that time. But there we almost dismiss it through this kind of chronological snobbery and ironically yeah. sexistly, you know, act as if, you know, these super intelligent women are inferior to, <laughs> to the modern men that wrote sketches like that. TFM listeners, this has been part one of a two-part interview discussion with Simon Camilleri about abortion and the Christian's response. For the second half of this discussion, please tune in for our next episode coming up mid-February, in which we will talk about some of the specifics and how we can respond and how we can raise up children that are consistently pro-life. Thank you for joining us. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.